Amen. Join me in prayer, please. Father, thank you so very much for the amazing opportunity to be in your house today. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Thank you, uh, Jesus, for coming and dying for us, that we could have forgiveness of our sins. I, I pray, Father, now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you will just permeate this place. Um, we fully understand that in your omnipresence that you are everywhere. But we are asking you to have the freedom to work in the lives of people today. I pray your word uh, will come alive and speak to our hearts as only you can do it. Um, we love you, God. We commit this time unto you. In Jesus, I pray it in your precious name. Amen. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, O tidings of comfort and joy. This morning we start... This morning we start our series. It's about three years ago that we began taking a Christmas carol each year and building a sermon series around that Christmas carol. And this year is... God rest ye merry gentlemen. And I'm finding out as I do this that so many of the carols that we appreciate and enjoy have so much wonderful theology and doctrine and truth in it. I I love these lines. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort. And joy. Christmas is good news. Christmas is good news. And you know, there's a sense of anticipation. I, I know in the world of kids, there's a great anticipation about Christmas. Um, if you've ever taken kids on a trip, you know, you've gone about two blocks, Brent. Just about two blocks, and someone says these words. Are we there yet? How much longer? When will we get there? And I found out in true, I remember when I was growing up, that was a big question about Christmas. You know, as soon as we started back to school and, and seasons started changing, there's this great anticipation about Christmas. How, how much longer till Christmas? When is Christmas coming? And you know, that sort of changed a little bit. Um, I think it's because, Brent, do you remember the day when you could have a pizza party and draw 500 kids? All you had to do is put a poster up in town, free pizza at Dorisville Baptist Church, and youth would flock to it. Well, you throw up a sign that says free pizza now, and the kids kind of go, what else you got? You know, it doesn't work. Well, it's kind of the same way with Christmas. In America, in our culture, it's almost like Christmas every day. When I was growing up, and again, we weren't the richest family in town by any means, we did not get gifts throughout the year. And this was the big deal. I mean, it was a really a big deal for us because that's when we got presents. And, and honestly, we got a lot of presents at Christmas time. 
And so it was very normal for us to go, how much longer? How much longer? When's Christmas? When's it going to happen? Because again, the expectation was so great. Well, did you know that's how it was? That's how it was back in the days when Jesus Christ was born. And it's Christmas, as you get older, takes home on a whole different meaning. I was thinking about 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 11. And Paul says, you know, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. And, and when I was a child, I understood as a child. And, and when, I, when I was a child, I thought as a child. He said, but when I got older, I took off childish things. And he said, I began understanding as a man. And for us who are getting a little bit older, and I hope we can teach our children that Christmas is so much more than just about a red hat. It's so much more even receiving gifts, unless that gift is the greatest gift, and that's the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So, So there's this great anticipation... We're, we're 2,000 years ago, and, and there's this great anticipation about the coming of a Messiah. And, and the reason why the anticipation was so great is because something that God had been doing for 400 years. I don't know when's the last time you read the last chapter in the book of the Old Testament, but it's the book of Malachi, chapter 4, and these are the words that, that are last spoken in the Old Testament. God speaks and says these words. Remember the instructions of Moses, my servant, the statues and the ordinances. I commanded him at Horeb, the mountain of God, and for all of Israel. And now, now don't run by this too quick. Listen. Look, God says, I am going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Other words, I will come and strike the land with a curse. The end, nothing more, silence. I'm sure if you're going to write a book, you wouldn't end it with the words, otherwise I will come and strike the land with a curse. But those were the last words God spoke. And it wasn't for a week or two. It wasn't for a few years. It was for 400 years God was silent. Now, now, you know, sometimes, if you remember the song of Simon and Garfunkel, The Sounds of Silence, sometimes the sounds of silence can be deafening. And I think that's true here. I know if you're like us, we carry around now our phones, of course, wherever we go, and in our bedrooms, and we turn on a sound machine because we're sitting there and it's so quiet. Now, you may dig that. You may think, that's really cool. I like silence. But a lot of people really have a hard time going to sleep when it's so silent. So we turn on something that sounds like white noise or we have something that we call babbling brook. That's our go-to noise. And we listen to a stream babbling as we go to sleep because the sounds of silence can be so deafening. Men, you know about this. You've walked in from work and something's gone wrong between you and her and you say, hi, honey. And there's the deafening sound of silence. Well, 400 years of silence. And finally, and finally, God 
begins to speak. By the way, just an interesting, if you're, if you're a piece of trivia, if you're a Bible person, I'm sitting there. I know y'all do this too. I know you do this too. So I'm sitting there this morning. And it's getting kind of getting close to get dress time. And so I'm having breakfast. And, and it's my standard grits, eggs, you know, thing in a bowl. And I'm sitting there eating my grits and my eggs. And, and I started thinking about the children of Israel. Do, don't, do you all think about the children of Israel when you're eating grits and eggs? Well, you would because, see, when you think children of Israel, you think manna. And everybody knows that, that manna and grits are the same thing. So, so I'm eating my manna, okay? And it popped in my brain. I said, holy moly. Isn't that incredible? God was silent for 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, and he was really silent for 400 years while the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt. 400 years. It's no coincidence. And when God finally spoke to the children of Israel, he sent a redeemer in the name of a guy named Moses. And after 400 years of silence here, he speaks and announces the arrival of a redeemer in the name of Jesus Christ. How cool is that? Well, when God finally speaks after 400 years of silence, he makes a baby announcement. He makes a baby announcement. But it may not be the baby you're thinking of. Because you see, in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, there's a story there, and the Bible says there, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Spoke those same words to Joseph, by the way. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest, and he was doing his priestly thing. Once a year, the priest got, one of the priests got to go into the Holy of Holies and make the supreme sacrifice on the altar there. And so Zechariah, it's his turn, it's his time. And he scores season the opportunity to be really close to God. He says, you know, God, my wife hasn't had a baby. We really like to have a baby. And so he kind of seizes the opportunity when he's close to God to kind of make that request known. And an angel speaks to him while he's in the Holy of Holies and says, Zechariah. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be great joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. I need to tell you, have you ever wondered why John the Baptist is named John the Baptist? This is why he didn't drink. Well, if he did, he'd been called John the Methodist. (laughs) All right, all right, all right, okay, 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 okay. I've been waiting to say that. I I thought of that. I said, that's pretty good. All right, so anyway, so anyway, so he will be filled with the Holy Spirit back in Luke chapter 1, verse 15. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Now, 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 don't run past this. Okay, now let me go back real quick to verse number five in Malachi four. Look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Back into Luke chapter one. He says, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Aren't you glad God is faithful? He said, in the latter days, Elijah's coming. And he meant John the Baptist. And it's no accident that Luke records these words the way he does. That, that, that when John comes, he's coming like the power of Elijah. Because God is faithful to his word. And God is faithful in all things. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah 
to turn, this is the same words, to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous and to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. So 400 years of silence, God speaks and makes a baby announcement. He says, a guy named John is coming and he's coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. For the Messiah. And the most, one of the most beautiful scriptures, Christmas scriptures, in the Bible is not found in Matthew or Luke. It's found in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. And that's where we're going to spend our time today. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. Speaking of the coming of Christ, here's what Paul writes in Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time had come, 400 years of silence. Don't let that go by. 400 years of silence. And when God speaks, he makes a baby announcement. And when Paul writes in Galatians, he says, describing God's timing, he says, in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time. You know, do you remember the day when you were wanting to have a child and your wife got pregnant And, you know, the nine months passes forever. And one day she looks at you and goes, Honey, it's time. It's time. Do you remember the excitement? Do you remember the the nervousness, the anticipation? It's time! It's time! So you grab the bag and go to the hospital and forget your wife? Remember that time? Well, that's the anticipation. The fullness of time. God sends forth His Son. And you know, the bottom line is, you know, there's a lot of discussion about why, why did God choose 2,000 years ago as the time to send His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world? And the bottom line is, it was His time. You need to remember that. That's going to be very important, man. You need to remember, God has a timing, and He works out in that timing. But the truth is, there were some things going on culturally, culturally that are very... I couldn't say it if I tried. So, if things happening in culture that were very important. You know, some of these you may have heard before. You know, courtesy of the Roman Empire, courtesy of the Roman Empire, there was an infrastructure that was present in the world that had never been present before. The Romans had one of the greatest road systems ever. And if the gospel was going to spread, if the gospel was going to populate throughout the world, there had to be an ease of transportation for the people to share the gospel. And guess what? It was there. Thank you, Roman Empire. Also, it was a forced peace, but there was the Pax Roma. There was the Roman peace. And it was enforced by the Roman soldiers, but the bottom line is there was a certain security in the world that day. So thanks, again, to the Roman Empire, there was a peace that was present. Thanks to the Greeks, there was a common language. There's a Conine Greek, the Greek of the common people, and was spoken by a lot of people in the known world then. And so, again, the gospel had a language that most people understood that could be translated or, or be put out so the gospel could be shared. But perhaps most importantly, there was a hunger. There's a hunger. There are so many people during this time when Jesus was born who were fed up with vain, empty religion. And not just the Jews. There are a lot of Jews who saw right through the Pharisees and their falseness and all that. And they were so discontent with their religion 
But, but the Romans and the Greeks, they were all just so tired of vain, empty religion. And there was a hunger for something new. And by the way, this is a freebie. Those of you who get frustrated with the culture today, keep this in mind. There's going to come a day, and it probably won't be too far in the future, that there are going to be a lot of refugees. People have been banged up and hurt and discouraged and disillusioned by all this junk in our culture, and they're going to be looking for truth. Our church may well be flooded with, with refugees seeking the gospel. It's important that we be ready for that. No matter what they look like, how many tats they have, how many piercings they have, how they dress, how they speak, how they talk. When those refugees come to the door, we've got to be ready to share the gospel with them. Because they have God's provincial timing in these latter days. So, in the fullness of time. The fullness of time. Now, that's a nice history lesson. But, Dwayne, how does that impact me? Well, it does. Because there's some people here today who need to understand and need to know this truth. That just like God's timing was accurate for the coming of His Son, Jesus, God's timing is accurate in your life. You, someone needs to hear that. You need to understand that just like God was accurate in picking the time for His Son to come, God is accurate in your life. Did you know the scientists have created a clock? And the way they describe it is this. If this clock had started running during the creation of the universe and all those years now to here, it would lose less than one second. There's a clock that that's accurate. I know something more accurate, and that's God. He doesn't lose a second. He doesn't lose less than a second. He's that accurate. There's a wonderful story, and I'm going to take the time to tell it today. There, uh, there's a wonderful story about a couple of people that you know, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And, and again, you need to hear this because some of you right now are going, God, when are you going to act? When are you going to do something? I, I, have this, I have this thing going on in my life. When are you going to act? And we get frustrated with God because His timing seems to be off. It is not. Oh, over in, in um, and again, you don't need to go there. You may go there. In John chapter 11, verse number 3, you know, the Bible says, So the sisters, Martha and Mary, sent a message to Him, Jesus. Anybody ever send messages to Jesus? Sure you do. It goes something like this. Dear God, my child is sick. Dear God, I need a job. Dear God, my marriage is on the ropes. Dear God. We all send messages to God. Well, the girls sent messages to God, and here's what it said. Lord, the one you love is sick. What an important message. The one you love. This guy is not just any Joe I'm praying for. This is someone significant to you. Well, in verse number 4, the Bible says, When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death. Now let me pause there. Did you get those two words? This sickness. Not every sickness. Not every sickness. But this, this he predicts, because he's God, this sickness has a predictable outcome. It will not end in death. But that's not a promise for every sickness because we all know we pray for people to be healed and they still die. So not every case. But don't miss what comes next. When this sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's every case. And in this case... 
Lazarus is not going to stay dead. In every case, God gets the glory. And that's the business he's in. Come on. That's the business he's in. You need to grasp a hold of this. Because so many of you are so disillusioned with God. Because God's timing is terrible. And and not only that, his judgment's bad too. No. No, that's not true. In this case, death was not the end result. But you mark it down. God's in the business of bringing glory to his name. And that is every time he succeeds every time in that. Well... So, verse number five. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. And that's important, too. Because whatever's fixing to happen is not going to look like love. Whatever's about to happen is not going to look like love. Do not let your circumstances and God's timing cause you to doubt God's love. Do not let circumstances or God's timing cause you to doubt God's love. And so, so John tells us, hey, you need to know Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. No matter what's going to happen, because it's not going to look like love. And I'm telling you, there's some people here in this room today, or you're listening on the radio, and some things are happening in your life, and, and guess what? They didn't look like love. You need to know, and I say it every once in a while, that declares the love of God. If you ever doubt the love of God, look to that anchor. And that anchor is the cross of Jesus Christ where God sent His only begotten Son to die for you that you could have eternal life so that the pain and suffering of this life is not all there is. There's something far better coming. And what's coming is eternal and perfect. That's what's coming. That's what's coming, and that declares that. So don't miss that. So Jesus loved Martha and Mary. So when he heard that he, Lazarus, was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. So when he heard he was sick, he stayed two more days. And I wrote down and said, no, Jesus, go. It's time to do something. No. See, the Bible says, verse 7, then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judah again. So after he waited two days, he said, now we're going to go to Judah. Here's the deal. If, if we'd have followed our timing, there may have been a healing. If we followed Jesus' timing, there's a resurrection. Which is bigger, a healing or resurrection? I mean, you want to get people's attention? Let a dead guy get up. Let a dead guy get up. So, so listen, understand this, that God may be thinking something other than you're thinking. His timing is going to be perfect, okay? But he may be thinking something bigger than you're thinking. So trust him. After all, he is God. He is God. So in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, and that's applicable to our lives today, his timing was impeccable back then, his timing is impeccable now. Don't doubt it. If you're a child of God, don't doubt it. Don't doubt it. Well, in the fullness of time, God sends forth His Son. After these 400 years of silence, when the timing was right, God sent forth His Son. And I thought about when, a, a time ago, a season ago, when I taught this. And, and I remember saying that God sent His Son to the earth in an, an environment and a climate of danger. None of us, none of us would put our child in an environment of danger. We would not intentionally put our child in an environment of danger. But God did that, and it's worse than that. It's worse than that because he not only put him in an environment of danger, he sent him to die. He sent him for that. The mission was that. 
The mission was the worst death possible. And God sent forth His Son. Here's how, here's how the Gospel writers kind of introduced that era. You know, Matthew says this, Matthew 1.1. 1, 1, An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. When, when, when Matthew tries to describe the time period that was now happening, that God was talking again, that God was speaking again, he says, I, I want to write about the genealogy because it's timeless and it's ageless. He was the son of David and he was the son of Abraham. Mark's, I like Mark's. Mark 1.1 1, 1 started out like this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. How about that for a description? How about that for a description? The, the account, the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Luke really wrestled. Luke said, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Many people had urging to try to record all of this. Verse 2, just as the original eyewitnesses and the servants of the world handed them down to us. He said, I feel this urgency to write about this because it's so incredible. And then John, John tops everybody. John says in John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And so, so when God finally talks again, He talks about two babies. He talks about a guy named John who was going to parallel Elijah with the good news, repent and turn back, and then Jesus comes as the Redeemer of the world. How incredible is that? God may have been silent, but boy, when He started talking, He had a lot to say. God may have been silent, but when he started talking, he had a lot to say. Amen? Come on, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. All right, all right, all right, now, listen to this, listen to this. Here's what he says. In Galatians 4, 5, he says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son to redeem, to redeem those who were under the law. That's big. To redeem. He sent his son into peril and danger. When, when the time was right, he sent his son to redeem. Now, again, to get a picture of this, because we can't really get our arms around this, but in the Roman Empire, there were approximately 60 million slaves. Not 60,000. 60 million slaves. All right? And when they had these slave markets, when men and women and children were bought and sold, all right, there were two reasons... You might buy a slave. You might buy a slave to take him home and keep him as he is, a slave in bondage. Or occasionally, a man would buy a, a man, woman, or child for the purpose of setting them free. I'm glad to report to you today that Jesus came to redeem. And the word redeem there, by the way, means pay the price. Pay the price. I'm glad to report to you today that Jesus did not pay the price so he can just keep you in bondage. He did not pay the price so you would stay as you are. He loved us too much for that. He paid the price. He endured a Roman cross. He took nails in his hand and his feet and a spear in his side. He came to earth for the purpose that he paid the price that we might be free. Free. This is incredible. So when the fullness of time finally came, God sent forth His Son to redeem those who were under the law. And trust me, we needed redeeming. 
We need a redeeming. And, you know, James chapter 2, verse 10 says this. For whoever keeps the law but fails to, in one point, has become guilty of all. In other words, we need redeeming because we've all failed in the law. And if you failed one point, God counts you totally guilty. Totally. You're sitting there going, yeah, I go to church three times a week. I, I get I, I get money. You know, I, I don't holler at my wife. I don't say cuss words, and I don't drink. And I don't smoke. I, I, and you think somehow that's like God's going, woohoo! Boy, you are one good dude. You don't need grace. You got that. Wrong! If you offended the law in one point, you're guilty of everything. We need a rescuer. We need a redeemer. And God sent, in Galatians 4, 4, God sent forth a son born of this woman and born under the law that we could be redeemed. Born of a woman. Way back in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, you know, the, the virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son and they shall call his name Jesus. Shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. 100% God, yet 100% man. Jesus, uh, uh, the humanity of Jesus declares, well, let me read to you from Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He sent his son. 100% God, 100% man. He, he was born under the law. In other words, Jesus was subject to every expectation of the law. We could never do that. James, that's what James 2.10 says. We could never meet the expectations of the law. Some might do better than others, but nobody does it perfect. And then along comes Jesus. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. He met every expectation of the law. How incredible is that? So, so he came to redeem those who were under the law. Now, though he came to redeem those who could not meet the expectations of the law. Because we are sinners. We are imperfect. It's my privilege to share with Blaze uh, Wednesday night in my office. And we spent a lot of time talking about the fact about sin. That the Bible says every person has sinned. Every person has failed to meet the expectations of God. And that's why we need a redeemer, a rescuer, a savior. To redeem those under the law. Now watch, 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 watch. So that we might receive adoption as sons. We don't have time to even begin going into that. But let me just tell you this. As a son, you have full rights and privileges. You don't have the right. You're not like a little baby who has no rights and privileges. You have full rights and privileges as an adult son. Romans understood this. Uh, often Romans would adopt a full-grown man, choose him carefully, and adopt a full-grown man because they knew they could trust him with the rights and privileges of the estate. When we are saved, God puts us in the family and adopts us as sons with full rights and full privileges. And then he goes on and says this. And because you are sons, because you are sons, because you've been adopted into the family as a son, because you're a sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Woo-hoo. So when God adopts us, he gives us a little gift called the Holy Spirit. Again, 
God comes into us. Not we go to God. God comes into us. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1. This is so good. Listen. In Him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Oof. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption, the possession, to His praise and glory. In other words, God gave us a little down payment called the Holy Spirit and said, you get the rest when you get to heaven. This is just the beginning. This is just, this is just some of me living in you. Or this is me living in you. But you get the rest and you spend eternity in my presence. In a place called heaven. And then he says, and then he says, you know, God sent the Spirit of His Son to our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. There's some consternation about what this means. Because we wrestle with disrespect. We wrestle with disrespect. But it's not. I mean, the word Abba. In one way, it would be described as dearest father. Not this, not this, it's not, it's not the father that's stern and unapproachable. It's the dearest father. Another commentary translated, listen, listen, Papa. Papa. And yes, and this is the one people wrestle with, one translated it as daddy. Daddy. What, what Paul is trying... What Paul is trying to say is that when we were adopted into the family as sons, we received this adoption, and, and because we're sons, he gave us the Holy Spirit, that we have the privilege of calling God Father, dearest Father, Papa, Daddy. No lectures, please, about my illustration. But when I was a little boy, five years old, six years old, my mama would take me and my dad would take me to see Santa Claus. And I didn't know him. But I would crawl up into his lap. And I would tell him the desires of my heart. Because I had been told that he could fulfill the desires of my heart. Little boy, what do you want for Christmas? And I would tell him and I would believe whatever he said because of what I had been told. Well... God's a lot better than Santa Claus. He invites us. He invites us to come up into his lap. And he invites us to say, Son, daughter, what's the desires, the hurts of your heart? And guess what? He can meet them. <laughs> he can meet them. That's, that's the power. That's the power. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He invites us to crawl up into His lap and allow... Oh, please grasp this. If you're hurting today, He invites you into His lap to love you and to hold you and to assure you and to keep you. Don't reject that. Don't stand afar off saying, God's... See, it's the prodigal son story. I'll go back and tell my father I'm not worthy to be a son. I'll be a slave. He was going to be content to not be able to approach the father. It's the same thing we do. We have this in our brain. We have this unapproachable God. He says, no, I'm Abba Father. I'm dearest father. I'm Papa. I'm Daddy. Come into my lap and let me love you. It's incredible. Don't demean that. Don't take that away. 
The song says it. You're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. And we, we are loved by you. That's who we are. That's who we are. So, so Paul says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of the son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And he closes with this in verse 7. So you are no longer a slave. Would you please believe that? I, I know we're bond servants. But keep in mind, a bond servant was a servant, a slave, who willingly served the master. And they would take it and they put a hole in their ear with a nail. And that said, I serve my master willingly. But Paul's point here is, you are no longer a slave. You are a son. You, dear friend, if you know Jesus, are a child of God. You, you need to hear this. You are a child of God. And because you're a child of God... You're an heir. You have an inheritance. Some of it you get now. The Holy Spirit's a down payment. But the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. It's like when I go to a potluck. I like, listen, I like the green beans. and I like the meatloaf and mashed potatoes and the fried chicken. I like all that stuff. But you mark it down. Diabetes or not. In my brain, I'm going, the best is yet to come. And I'm at, I may not know exactly what it looks like. I don't know if it's going to be banana pudding or pecan pie or apple pie. But I do know this. The best is yet to come. And I may not fully understand heaven. And I may not fully understand eternity. And I may not fully understand what it's going to be like would be with God for all eternity. I, I may not understand all that, but, 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 but I know this. The best is yet to come. Come on. I want you to clap on that one. I don't ask for applause, and you ain't applauding me. You're applauding the glorious truth. The best is yet to come. And so he says this. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, now let me just read two quick scriptures for, to send you home with and maybe entice you to become a child of God today. Listen to what, what John, Jesus said it, but John recorded it in chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive Him, to all who received Christ, He gave them the right to be children of God. Not to those who can perform and meet the standard. Not to those who choose to be a Baptist or some other denomination. Not to those who go to church. Not to those who give money. But to those who believe in His name. How about that? Not performance-based. I like that. Those who believe in His name who were born the second time. Not of natural descent... Or the will of the flesh. Or of the will of man. I think I can. I think I can. But of God. Wow. How about that? And then First John does it again. First John 3, 1 John 3.1. He says this. See what great love the Father has given us. 
that we should be called God's children. Yeah, I don't know how your life, I don't know how your day is going. I don't know how your day is going. I don't know how your tomorrow is going to go. But if you walk out here believing, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I am a child of God. I am an heir. And I've got a part of God in me that will not leave me, will not forsake me, will not let me go. And my God, my God is bigger than anything that I'm going to face tomorrow. My God is bigger than anything I'm going to face next week. If you'll leave with that truth burning in your heart, guess what? It's a good day. It's a good day. To be able to be called a child. Of God. And it's true. I mean, I could call myself Tom Selleck if I wanted to, back when he looked good. Don't make it so. But when God says, when God says, you're a child of God, I don't care what Satan says, the deacons say, or a church member says, or your wife says, or your husband says, or your friend says, I don't know what the kids at school say as you go down the hallway. I don't care if God says you're a child of God. You are a child of God. Nothing's going to change that. How about that? And that's what we are. And here's the good news. That's what you can be. I don't know why you're here today. I don't know if, you know, if you're here today and you don't usually go to church and you popped in and I guess we're off the radio by now, but maybe some folks were listening, you know, who are going, well, you know, I, I don't know why I'm even listening for. I never listen to these things. It could be to hear the news. And no matter what you've done, no matter what you have done, you can be a child of God. Because in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might be called the sons of God. God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. If you're here today, and you've tried religion, and you tried starting and stopping, and it's always failed you, let God. He will not fail you. If you'll come today, my friend Brent's going to be standing down front, and we would love to tell you about this Jesus. We would love to tell you how this Christmas can be like no other Christmas before. Why? Because God sent forth His Son to redeem those under the law. And that we might be called the sons of God. How you do that? Well, we would love to share more details with you. That's why I'm asking you to come forward. Dave and the team's going to come up in just a moment, and they're going to sing a song for us, and we're going to sing along. But the bottom line is, if you'll step out and say, Hey, Brent, I want to know more about this. Because I know I need this. Dwayne was talking to me today. I need this. And not only that, I want this. I want this. We invite you to come. Now, you may be here and, and you know, you've been coming to Dorsfield for like 12 years. Okay? And you're finally going, you know what? I think I want to join the family. We would love to have you come and, and say, hey, I just want to be a part, an official part of the family. We would love that. We would love that. Maybe you're here, you know, in about another week or so, we're going to be baptizing again. And maybe you're here today and you've never been baptized. You, want to de- you know, you say, Dwayne, I, I, I know baptism doesn't save you, but I, but I know it's a, a command of obedience. And I want to obey Jesus because I love him. Come tell Brent that. And boy, on the 17th, before the evening service that night, we're going to be baptizing. And we would love to have the privilege of baptizing you. And maybe you're here today and you just need somebody to pray. You just need somebody to pray for you. And you come on down here, people flock to you. Don't worry, they just want to pray for you. This is a place of safety and love. And we want to pray for you. You let God do what God wants to do 
in your life. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing this truth today. And thank you that in the fullness of time, you sent forth your Son. That we might be redeemed. That we might be called sons of God. Thank you for that. Thank you that you do invite us into this intimate, personal relationship. The imagery of of, of a child falling up to a father's lap with arms of love and acceptance. Thank you for that. Oh, Holy Spirit, draw men, women, and children to whatever decision that you're calling them to make today. Please call them and draw them. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Hey, would you stand with me this morning? Brent will be standing right here. If we can help you with any decision you've got to make today, God spoke your heart about, we would love to help you with that.
bow your heads right there for a moment. We close in prayer. You know, one thing I love about church, people say, what's so great about church? Uh, Trent Wallace has been diagnosed as a young man with congestive heart failure. And uh, in the eyes of medicine, it looks pretty serious. I had the privilege of praying before him over here before the service. And uh, I love the fact that these people all are here praying for him. You want to know why do you need to come to church? Why should you be a part of a church? This is why. This is why. In the difficult times of life, there's people who will stand with you and pray for you. That's why. That's why. Uh, Caitlin, uh, this is Mike and Lucy's daughter, is over in Deaconess Hospital and may be diagnosed with meningitis. Um, she's had this before, and there are some symptoms that are exactly the same. So we even remember to pray for Caitlin. Um, we still want to pray for the, uh, Jane Flanagan's family. And there are uh, there's so many others in the hour. Uh, someone shared with me this morning, that uh, Judy Calger, that a nephew, 50-something years old, 57 years old, suddenly died of a massive heart attack. There's a lot of trouble in this broken world. And that's why the gospel is good news. There are a lot of broken people. And uh, there's a lot of uh, pain in the world. So let me just pray for us before we go home, and then I'll turn it over to Brent. God, thank you so much for being an incredible God. I love it. The song that says, you are a good, good father. That's just who you are. And we get the privilege of being your children and being loved by you. And it's amazing because it's all about grace. It's all about us believing Jesus in you. For by grace, we can be saved through faith. How amazing is that? So as we continue our journey into the Christmas season, may we understand that Christmas is all about Jesus It's all about the cross. May we gather each week here just incredibly charged to celebrate your marvelous work in the lives and interventions of men. Thank you for that. We do pray uh, for Trent. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name uh, for his heart. God, I know what medicine says, but I know the final decision is always in your hand, and we're thankful. And that's true with Caitlin, Father. We, we pray for the ones who have lost loved ones, God, during this difficult time of the year of celebration. May we, Father, reach out and love them and touch them. And, Father, certainly in the case of Jane, as she celebrates her first Christmas in heaven. So we're thankful for that. So, God, can we just end the service by saying you're incredible, and we love you, and we thank you for allowing us to be here today as part of this family. And, Jesus, I pray this. In your name, amen.